Hi there. Right, it's uh, summertime, so a lot of us are on our holidays. So for those who've stayed, uh, we've allowed you to pick your favourite episodes from the past and we're playing them. I'm just going to nip into the sea. Get those seagulls off me. Welcome to uh, Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Very special guest there, multi-award winning husband of Bridget Christie, Stuart Thank Hughes, you. come in. Good. Um, how, how was life at home then? Oh, oh it's awful, because... Um, because uh, we're, we're both we're, well because I'm married to another comedian who's starting to do a lot more work in the last few years. Um, I preferred it when she was less successful; it was easier. But um, we're both obviously we're both on the same cycle of getting new shows ready for Edinburgh. Yeah. So this time of year gets particularly fraught, and there's a kind of there's a sort of um, battle at the moment about who needs to be given the most space. You know, she maintains that because she's sort of in the spotlight at the moment, she'll be judged very harshly if it isn't up to standard. Whereas I maintain that. Uh, you know, I'm, there's expectations of me, and people would love me to fail, and also, you know, I, you know, it's it's just sort of it's like a contest of who's the victim, the but most of the victim. You both got a point. Yeah, fair. I know. Yeah, but then you've got the two young children as well. Yeah. So, so, are you about to move house or? Have What's you the idea? We're trying to basically for all your trophies. Well, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> no, we got we've got two little kids, and we were trying to that. We'd love to be able to let them out of the house uh, into a garden, which we haven't got. So we, but we, and we, but we also want to stay living in Stoke Newington, which in twenty years has gone from being a sort of um, apocalyptic vision of uh, Mega City Four, you know, to um, to this sort of place loads of city types want to live. Um, and um, so we, I, th- I thought we weren't going to be able to afford it, but luckily, uh, luckily somewhere's come up, which is quite bad. Because I was kind of thinking. We could leave with good grace. I was, I was kind of ready to admit defeat by London, and what, go. Leave London? Yeah, I don't want to, but, but I wanted to get the kids a garden, and it was just you wouldn't believe it's so difficult. You, you, because you had, you had success in the early nineties and became a property magnate. Thanks for putting me in the past. <laughs> no, I mean no, but I mean you had, you earned some money at the point yeah. when it was worth something, and you <laughs> bought a house, didn't yeah, you, in you, Crouch End? You, you owned a house in Finsbury Park. Yes, but I had a. You very <laughs> kindly gave that to the person that you split up, up with. with. Yeah, I know. Well, that was that was a very beautiful thing to do well it were in the end she, she we, we uh, i put tw- i was i put 20 grand down on this flat in 1996 yeah and yes. but then but then i just we split up and i said you have it but if you ever come to sell it give me back an equivalent percentage of what i got in and it didn't like that would happen and everyone was saying i was mad but then she met a really nice bloke from an australian rock group who was also an interior designer or something Architect, I, I an architect was he? Oh right, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what he was. <laughs> he was a nice bloke, wasn't yeah, he? he lovely, yeah. And then they, in the end, they sold it, and they did, and they gave me brilliantly. They gave me a percentage of the profit back at the point where I was completely bankrupt from um, working on Jerry Springer the Opera, yeah. which which was at a point where you know it was sort of being encouraged to carry on with it in the in the hope that it might pay out at some point. But then it got. Um, Got effectively banned, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then this, because um, at that point, like uh, you decided, no more stand-up for you. Uh, between about two thousand and two thousand and four, yeah. Because like obviously, like you know, you and uh, Richard Herring had big success with the TV. Uh, well, I know you say it didn't translate into numbers were uh, or money. Into... No. Well, it's a decent one. Well, it not really because it was it was during the comedy as a rock and roll times, and I and I I could I could tour. The the amount I could tour to the amounts of people that came to see us in the nineties and make a living out of it now, but back then we'd come out in debt because there'd be um, massive advertising, a, a tour bus, you know, a tour manager. Um, you'd be put up in posh hotels, and there are all these like strange 
costs and, and were everything. Were you naive enough to think this isn't going to cost us all those things you just mentioned? Yeah, I was. But, you know, and, and loads of people, you know, well, I mean, loads of people were in that period. It was sort of like, the, the, for, for I think the comedy as a new rock and roll period was a bit like, you know, when you, uh, all, all those old... Um, you know, guys from soul bands in the sixties who came out with nothing. You know, and you meet you meet people in. Who were, I, I remember being at a party when I was a little kid. I was about twelve, and I was at my auntie's party in the Cotswolds, and there was a guy there who'd been in um, uh, the the Fortunes, who were a sixties band that had a hit with "You've Got Your Troubles, I've Got Mine," right. and he'd written it. And I, he was supposed to be about thirty-five then, I suppose. And he'd, he'd never saw anything from it, and I couldn't believe it. And, of course, now I completely... I remember that being a real moment. I think I was about nine, actually. I thought, wow, he wrote, he wrote, you've got your troubles, I've got my... And he's got nothing. How did that happen? Yeah, and then I, but he then, obviously got ripped off, though, didn't he? Yeah, but then we all, we didn't obviously get... Well, we did get ripped off, I suppose, really. Not, But in a, but in a way that... The, I, think the, I think the idea was that you toured to promote some product... Right. Yeah. And that the product, if it's sold, yeah, so would then alone. Yeah, whereas now it's the other way because because physical media has no value and all young people steal stuff off torrent sites, suddenly you're allowed to make a profit out of touring because yeah. there's no thing to promote anyway. And in fact, uh, a, a guy I know in a band from Bristol sent me their new CD the other day and said, we're putting this out to try and raise money to tour Denmark, which I thought was really funny. He's yeah. actually selling the, selling a limited edition CD to try and pay to... So it's all reversed, you know. But, you, you know, you again, you, you, you know, you remember that, that period. There were a lot of people... Yeah, but it was weird because, know. like, when what you start off, I think, pretty much the same time as me. About was, two years yeah. after. And I remember, I remember thinking... I remember the first... Weekend, I moved to London, and I moved to London in 1989 with the express intention of trying to get on the circuit because it was the only circuit yeah. there was, wasn't it, back then? And I moved to Acton. I looked in Time Out as you did in those days, and there was Acton Banana, and I walked down, and you were top of the bill. And that was the first gig I ever went to in London, and you came out to the music of the wedding present with sunglasses on the top of your head, bobbed your hair, and they popped down onto your nose, and everyone applauded. I thought that is an opening. <laughs> That's like the equivalent in a little comedy club of ACDC's cannons going off. What? It was fantastic. It was really rock and roll. And I also thought, oh, yeah, you know, it's really, you can do really exciting things. You can have sunglasses on and move them around. And, you know, the rest of that bill was Bob Boynton, who took his teeth out, right. which is also yeah. quite spectacular. And the singing firemen. Do you remember the good old days of funny novelty acts? Yeah, but yeah, guys that pretended to be firemen and sung songs about fire. Well, it used to be uh, when I went onto the circuit, it was called the cabaret circuit. Yeah. So there was lots of variety. Yeah. Acts. yeah. And like, I think that was a great thing, even though I didn't particularly like because mm. I'm purist. Like that's why it's a really weird thing. Because from reading your book, I think we came from a very similar thing of. Uh, when when new comedy started, I just went, oh, things are going to change. Yeah. This, this is amazing. Yeah. But, like, weirdly, like, most of us in our generation have stuck by our guns. We're still all quite purists. <laughs> yeah, well, I was putting a... I, was, I mean, I was put together a benefit, and one of the people the person wanted from the charity was one of these comics now that we all know use loads of writers. Yeah. And so the stuff sort of shifts gear all the time, and it... And I, I said, look, it won't work on this bill because that stuff won't fit alongside those people. And I thought, oh yeah, it's really there is a whole thing now of it of it being um, a product that's sort of generated for big stadiums. But again, it's it's just we we came from a period in uh, British social history, and I'll include <laughs> include you in that. But well, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of friendly yeah, to the English. But, and the Irish. You know that you know you could you could you could look. I'm middle class. I'm not from some 
ghetto, but but I could come to well, London. Well, I could, well, I could get by. You could do a bit of temping. You could maybe even go and live in a squat if you wanted to, or you could. There's all sorts of th- ways that you could, you know. It, it, and I think that enabled creativity in lots of areas because you didn't necessarily have to make it pay immediately. You could find your feet, and so it is more. Yeah, but it's also that now. point of. Uh, and I feel sorry for the young comics in the only sense of they're doing it to go on television. That yeah. was never a pipe dream for me. No. And also celebrity as well. I, yeah, well, they're I, doing it to be. People want to do it to be famous. I think it's a way of being famous. I kind know. of drowned in celebrity for a little bit. I, I wish I'd never done Nevermind the Buzzcocks because I kind of destroyed myself for a little bit. But well, you, you never went down that line at all, did you? Well, um, th- but, yeah, but that that sometimes gets um, that gets written about or talked to you about as if it was an ethical decision. But actually, I was just rubbish on those things as yeah. well. I mean, I didn't, and, and partly that's because it doesn't suit me. As I'm not like a team player in life, really, and I don't like, to, I don't, I was trying to block things or, you know, so it didn't really work anyway. But have you told your kids you're not a team player? Yet? Well, that, uh, tragically, my my son is taking on all the same characteristics as me that I, I can see how he's he's got really into so Doctor don't Who. Never again use the word tragedy and son. In, yeah, in but it, I know. Yeah, that's the beginning of a one man yeah, show. That's, yeah. <laughs> he's well, he's 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 like really into Doctor Who, for example, but he only likes it. Up to Tom Baker, and he feels everything after that is quite sort of facile. <laughs> so he's like he's sort of into something that kids are into. But, but that's, your, really that's your influence, surely. I don't know. I don't. I don't really like Doctor. Who. No, I no, but really it, yeah, yeah, I can't. I, like it's like basically, I, I my I've got a couple of principles uh, like vegetarianism. Yeah. Uh, but one of them is I'm going to go through life without reading or watching a Harry Potter film. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I've yeah. done pretty well yeah, so far. Yeah, yeah. It's, it means I sometimes miss out on references. Yeah. yeah. But I'm happy enough with that. Well, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's a sort of assumption that we should know about all these things, but then you know, it might know about other things. But, uh, but weirdly, yeah. see, that's the thing. Like a lot of your comedy, like I'll say the second phrase because second phase because when you when you quit, but you're on top of a lot of cultural stuff. Like like for instance, I've never watched Top Gear, but you right. did a whole routine about it. Yeah, but I'd only watched one. Of, I know. I'm not saying you you're know. a big fan. And no, no, I I, wa- I watched. Um, I think I watched one or two episodes, you know, about the time of that, because something had come up about them saying something, and I thought, oh, I'll have a look at it, you know. I mean, you don't. to be honest, you don't need to... You don't need to know much about these things, because they're the We're same. Aware of them, you yeah. can, like, watch one. I mean, uh, you know, you can watch ten minutes of one of those things and get the idea of it. It's not like, you know... Yeah, but, it's uh, all... Wasn't your... How long your Top Gear routine was quite a long routine though. Wasn't it was it? longer than the amount of Top Gear yeah. I've watched. Yeah, yeah. which is that's what I'm saying. That's uh, that's good. yeah, but you know it wasn't really about Top Gear I as know, much. Yeah. It's about this sort of idea of there's there's a whole class of people isn't there, in 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 media and society who like to think that they're rebels for being outspoken and saying unsayable things, and yet these unsayable things appear to be allowed to be said everywhere, often at the expense of publicly, fu- you know, often paid for by publicly funded bodies, <laughs> and um, and yet they, they, like Farage is doing the same thing, they create this notion that they're a victim outsider, when in fact they're the people that run the show, you know, socially so... I just, uh, I just played uh, Dorset and all the flags are all UK, yeah. definitely getting there Well... You know, it's, it's amazing. We just, we just, he's got to expel someone this week. Presumably, the Holocaust denier will have to be expelled from 
UKIP, the woman who says the Holocaust didn't That's happen. Another person just you know, a guy with one arm. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have people in your party that deny the Holocaust, I thought I thought that was a kind of line in civilization that we don't cross, you know. And um, I'm I'm still not sure about. You know, I didn't wait till I to. I haven't. You know, I haven't. Like, like, it's turned it, into yeah. one of those American public radio style <laughs> podcasts where we're kind of crypto fascist libertarians go yeah. on and without <laughs> realizing before you came into the room. Hang on a second. Well, see, but this is. This is what's wrong with society, where we're told we should have an opinion on everything. And the thing is, I haven't. So if I haven't, I just go, no, I'm not just going to wade in. Yeah, yeah. But you're quite politically uh, involved in your head. um, Okay, well, I am, right, but the the sort of stand-up of me on stage is more politically involved than me and partly is politically involved to try and score points off people even though there's an overlap with things that he thinks and what I think. He's sort of... Um, you should point out you are talking about you. Yeah, I know, yeah. But he's here. sort of... You know, like if I argued with someone about a piece of politics, it would be because I wanted to get to the truth of it or I was genuinely concerned about it. With him on stage, it is those things, but he also wants to be right. Okay. You know, and sort of, like, give a good account of himself. In fact, someone who, someone who didn't like it reviewed it as like a man trying to get the approval of his teenage nieces and it sort of is supposed to be like that a bit you know sort of like a guy trying to make out that he's a bit uh but, you know so but like when you say uh like because I, I would say it's an yeah. exaggeration of yeah. yourself on stage yeah. which we all are yeah yeah but but you're seeing it as totally a different not not really but I, but you know there's loads of overlap but there are things that I love that bit in your book when you say you know, sometimes the personality I take at home. Yeah, but see, but but did it start? Because when you started off, it was uh, I was more like that person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it hangs on to it's a it's a you know, it was an arrogant um, sort of bolshy, sullen um, adolescent, well into my thirties, and yeah. um, and but actually, that that's quite a useful. Stand-up persona, but it's funnier, I think, for a for a balding, overweight forty-something man. Are you talking about to, me? No, no, no. I think it's funny <laughs> for a balding, overweight forty-forty-something man to have that. But you know, it's the same with you. There's a there's a there's a sort of mid-eighties wedding present indie rock sort of fan thing that cannot be can't be decanted from you. Yeah, you know, and it will always yeah. be there. And like you, you know, you are you are sort of stunted, not stunted, but I mean, you. I think. You know the point at which you start to to speak on stage, and to some extent, you're going to be trapped in that. Yeah. What I think is difficult is for these. It's going to be harder for these guys that are like forty and pretending to be thirty-one. Or, you know, doing well, okay. <laughs> whatever. There's loads of them, aren't there? And with their sort of what are there? Loads of comics lying about. Well, no, age? I mean not just about their age, but I mean sort of like they're into like the kids' things, yeah. and yet they're. But they're, no, it's it's a weird yeah. one. But you're similar, like in the sense of. You'll have those hang hang ups, not hang ups, but like you know, to a degree, those things that you loved in the eighties, they mm. don't go away. Like, and even having young kids and stuff, there's still part of you that probably thinks, "What am I doing in this family uh, unit?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it is. It's funny that. I mean, um, but but actually, uh, I mean, there's that famous quote about I don't know who said it. I forget, but you know, the the the, the pram in the hall is the enemy of creativity. Yeah. But actually. It makes you have to try and do other things uh, um, and write about other things. What What is difficult about it is that I don't feel that I can be as free 
in what I do as I was before I had children because I don't want it to impact in a bad way on them. Yeah, you you, you talk about that. You know, I'm really aware well. of that. I, I, I can't, like... Because I, I do think to some extent they get they get judged because of you and I don't want them but to not, have But not at this age. You're talking much further down the line. No, I think now. I think some people would be anxious about their kids mixing with yours. Are you serious? But, yeah, based on things they read about you. I, I mean, I felt particularly uncomfortable. There was a piece of The Telegraph written by Dominic Cavendish at the start of the last tour. I don't really know what he was trying to do. I, to, to, to be charitable, I suspect he may have been trying to pull something off that didn't work, or else he hadn't been very well or something. But he, he sort of came to review the show, and it went perfectly well. And admittedly, I did mention that he was in on stage. I always mention when there's reviewers in. Yeah. So I kind of think it's... Well, yeah, you funny. love to name names, yeah. just in general. I think it's quite a funny thing to do because they, they've they've changed it by being there anyway, you know. So, but um, he wrote that it was like an act of aggression against the audience, and you I'm, know, I'm aware of and, that. And like, it demonstrably went well on the night. In fact, you know, it was it's sort of again, it's difficult to talk about without sounding like an egomaniac, but. Was what, it was actually one of the best ones. It, people went a bit mad, you know, and it was. Really, and then he wrote this thing saying it was like that. I was a sort of psychopath that set, that just sort of hated the people and went. And, and on the next day, when I was dropping the kids off in school, and on the way to school, when I was walking along, you know, there all the people in the area where I live are. They're all on this Facebook thing that isn't me. I don't know who it is, but he right. puts up things about me. And they think it's me, and it isn't. And then they all get, they all sorry about that telegraph thing, and I hadn't even seen it. And there's this sort of shame around you. Because it wasn't like a bad review, it was like a thing saying you were mad and violent and, and a sort of danger to yourself and society and stuff like that. And I, I felt sorry for my kids to have to be with me that day. Well, yeah, to see people's embarrassment and shame when they met me. Yeah, but that I think I know exactly where you're coming from, but I think that's probably pushing it too far. But and also, did he not? Didn't he come again the following week and kind of apologise for it? Well, he came back and gave it a good review, but he implied that it had improved because of the criticisms that he'd made. Which well, that's, is just that's, crazy. that's just the human condition that we can't know, admit yeah. to our own mistakes. Yeah, but that was sort of there are things like that, and, and you know, and if you if you if you do a if you do a, a search of me, like anyone, which you, know, you do a lot of though, don't not you? anymore, you know. If you do, I did it. I did it out of, for an idea. Um, I did. If you do a search of me, there's not so much now, but there used to be lots of people just really hating you, and I, I worry that people go, "Oh, that is Dad's a comedian. Let's Google him," and then it's all like this bloke should be, you know. Yeah, I know. But but sort of. Yeah, and but that's that's again that's modern day media. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, neither know? do I. But yeah. like, and also, I hate the fact that. Um, Journalists, God love them. Their way of researching is by googling yeah. the person and wrong facts. I know. Are, uh, well, you get this in schools now. Like your kids' projects always Google this, find out about this, Google it. And I, I, I make um, my kids use a, a set of nineteen thirties pre-war encyclopedias that were my mum's. I won't. Have I you got A to Z though? Or? They have, but they've got yeah. nothing. I've got anything about the, the modern. But that's because if you Google something, you, you might find a website. Owned by the company that makes it, that says the thing's brilliant or whatever. And I don't think you can't you can't indis- you can't have tell kids indiscriminately to use the internet because it's um it's it's biased. You know, if you look me up on on my Wikipedia page, it says that I'm um currently involved in uh, trying to um, fund 
a restart of uh, Robin Asquith's Confessions of uh, <laughs> franchise. And how's that going? It's going. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't put that on there. I mean, I think it's really <laughs> funny. funny yeah. I know, but I didn't. That is something you, you, you'd uh, write. I'm not. Yeah, you know what I've done? Really, I've I've made up a fact about a about a rock star, right? That I put in an article, and it's it's not a bad thing. It's just not true. Yeah, it's quite a nice thing, but it's mad nonsense. And um, he's been asked about it in an interview, and he didn't deny it. And it's now in biographies and things of him because I'm because it's started replicating itself yeah. now through Google and things like this. It's quite interesting to see at what point will it be stopped. And it's now in a biography of him, That's written by someone that knows him. So but, it's sort of like. But see, this, this is the thing uh, with with you. I find it really odd because I say like you're really uh, doing really well at the moment. You're really busy. You've got the two kids, you're writing a new show. But then, at the same time, you're one of the most obsessed people I've ever come across with oh. comedy, the comedy world. Oh, yeah, I love it, I love it. But like, <laughs> not, like you, you kind of seem to know everything that's happening. Well, it's I, very I kind of you. I don't see but, how you'd have the time. Well, you do it at Edinburgh, right? If, if you go out, if you... We juggle the kids around in Edinburgh, try and get on in the... In what, the street before Yeah, I know, you can make a bit of extra money on the mound. Lovely. They're getting very good at it. That's good. But um, the one's little as well, so you can get her up yeah. really high. But, but it's a balancing <laughs> thing. Well, they're different they weights. They have, the, have a special dietary uh, <laughs> but, um, requirements on the So you can, you can normally see about four things a day in Edinburgh. You're great so, at doing that, yeah. Yeah, so that's like 20 things. Go to Soho Theatre a couple times a month, see people's long shows. And for about three months of the year, I do the circuit properly, kind of four nights a week. And you do see people on, um, you see the other people on the bills. Plus, um, for the first sort of um, five or six years we were together, I mean, in the last few years, Bridge does a lot of gigs in her own right. But um, but she'd, she'd be on at all sort of places where there'd be people I didn't know. And, uh, and I do think it's important because... Um, you know, you you realise uh, people I know that have become proper telly comedians and do that they, they, they tend to think they're in competition with each other, but actually that stuff's like uh, coagulated in a way, and they, they need then well they go oh I don't need to do Edinburgh anymore. I wouldn't believe the amount of people I've heard say oh yeah I don't I used to do Edinburgh I don't do Edinburgh anymore. You've got you've got to go to these things because you you see all the new people you see what's happening and you, you get a sense of. Where things are, yeah, and I think of your position in relation to it. I mean, Edinburgh's changed so much to. Yeah, it has. Like, because also, like, can, please, journalists, the, the, it's a month-long festival. It's there to yeah. start a new work. Yeah. And kind of by the end of it, you've got a really good show, and they're reviewing people after a day. I know. Yeah. And like, and people are going up and they're like workshopping for a yeah, year. Yeah. And then you know what I think's destroyed uh, Edinburgh more than anything else is PR people. Well, you know what? P- but PR as an industry didn't exist when we started out, did it? It no. did not. What was a PR person? What did you do? You, you, for your gig, you, you photocopied some bits of paper and you stuck them on trees. <laughs> People seem to find out about it. And then you sent things. And, and the cat as well. And the cat. And then you sent things to newspapers and they would list them. But like so many things, the, the, the post Reagan, post Thatcher economic world has thought. How do we monetize this space between performers and the public? What can we insert into there yeah. that has to be paid for and generate money? Then you've got this PR thing. But, I mean, I think it is changing in Edinburgh, and I think it's partly changing because last year none of the things that generated critical interest or became public favourites were from the big four venues, which is where the... Um, the PR money is spent. Yeah. You know, they were from the Free Fringe or the Stand or other places. 
Um, so, and I think that that means that that there's so much PR now that it kind of becomes white noise. And in fact, rather, and also it's it's also like comics aren't making a living out of it because yeah. they're. Te- See, this this is my plan for Edinburgh, right? To bring it back to where it was, mm. is you pay to be in the. Um, Fringe program, yeah. Right, yeah. That's it. Yeah. You can leaflet stuff, uh, no posters, no yeah. nothing. It'll be word of mouth that yeah. sells a show. And then, like, by all accounts, I can't stop people, like, like using PR, but I just say, yeah, you do that, but you're not part of the fringe. Yeah, but you know what? I think it's going that way. Anyway. I mean, I, I think, I, I know you were at uh, the Gilded Balloon or whatever, but that, but that part of town feels a bit like sort of loads of people's big night out. And I, I think that the rest of it in the summer... And I think you know, there's, there's, that's the the rest of the fringe now. And in a way, it was quite helpful when the big four rebranded themselves as the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. It was quite useful in a way because you could sort of say, "Well, that's all that." Yeah. You know, whereas now they've sort of stopped calling themselves that. I think their brand got tainted because no one from the Edinburgh Comedy Festival <laughs> won anything. Or, so then, um, and then, but now their new brochures come out. And it's a pack, pack of picture of some playing cards, and on the front it says, "Assembly Pleasance Gilded Balloon uh, Underbelly, your best bet." Right, as if like, oh come on, you might as well, yeah, you might as well have a go. <laughs> Don't you know what it's going to be like, you know? Which is what sort of should be. Yeah, like, like I, I've always done the Gilded Balloon because I'm loyal. To I know, it, yeah, and she's not a real, you know. I understand. I think Karen Corrin's like some sort of state on the fringes of uh, the USSR or something that kind of, it was either capitulate yeah. or be destroyed, but you know. I, I, I'm totally uh, in Hamlet you on that because yeah. also what happens with those four big venues is you get passing trade. Yeah. And they're cunts by all degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I saw I was shocked there. I forgot it's a podcast, you can say that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you do, they're, they're sort of people going for a, a night out. I mean, one of the reasons, again... One of the reasons I stopped doing those venues, people go, oh, yeah, well done for going to the other ones. But actually, it was partly because on a Friday or Saturday night, the people that are going out for passing trade are decent, ordinary Edinburgh people. They've got a babysitter. That's cost them 30 quid. They want... They say, oh, he's got good reviews. Let's go to that. They come to me on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm just getting off the expression. Did you say decent babysitter? No, they've got a baby. They're decent people who've got a babysitter. They've got a decent babysitter as well. Do people go, what were you rate? Is there someone who's cheaper? (laughs) So they come out to me, those people, on a Friday or Saturday. They don't want to see me, right? And they they hate it, right? And I... There was... I don't want to waste people's time by being in one of those venues. Whereas if you're stand or free free, for there's more of a sort of journey to find you. And it does, you know, it honestly was about, I would get people coming up to me when I was doing Underbelly on a Friday, Saturday night. And and I would go, well, I didn't enjoy that very much, to be honest. And I go, well, I don't know what you expect me to do about that. Because that's what it is. Right. And it's not really fair. You know, to be there, taking up that space. They've got Jim Davidson this year at the um, Assembly on the Mound as part of the Big Four. That That's what they want. They've got some well, no, like, Chippendales they have. But the only and, thing... And uh, so, fine. Look, I'm with you, you know. but like, the bottom line is we, we're not fools. They are businesses. They're there to make yeah, know, money. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean, where the, the fringe yeah, yeah. used to be about new work. Yeah. It's not. It's about no. making money. But it's, like, it's weirdly... it's The only people who aren't making money at the... Uh, and the Finger are the performers. Yeah, but you know what? I think, 
I think you've got to try and hang on to it. It's a bit like the Conservative Party trying to sell off the forests. It's a bit what? Like, I know, when they tried to sell the forests, everyone stopped that. It's a bit like how they're now selling all their old council flats to developers on the understanding that they maintain a percentage of them as social housing. It's a bit like all. It's a bit like telling all the u- universities they have to, you know, monetize themselves. There, there, are, there are some things we, and it's a bit like this idea that you're now going to put child, child care, like children's homes, care of sexually abused children, out to tender for people to make a profit out of. And I know it's not as serious the fringe, but for me, it, it, the fringe grew up in a sort of post-war spirit of um, egalitarianism and. Is there not something we can just hold on to that's a kind of level playing field for people to go up and try things out in a spirit of of development? And I obviously I'm a fine one to talk because two years ago I did the big room at Assembly Rooms for a month at Tommy yeah, Shepherd's Rest and made a lot of money out of it. But you know it is like can we not just enough not? For a garden, though. No, I know not enough for a garden. <laughs> I didn't make. I didn't keep it up with the house price rate. <laughs> but you know, is is it just not something that we don't, we can just not make horrible? You know, I yeah. mean, there's not really. You can't stop them. It is a business. But there's not think, really any need for Jim Davidson to be at the fringe, is there? Well, also like the big acts who just happen to do the big rooms during the festival, yeah. taking away custom yeah. from people. I, I don't agree with that. Well, either. I did that for a, a year. You know, it was when when Tommy was getting the uh, assembly rooms going, and I'm going to do it again in two years' time. But you were planning you know, ahead so far. In yeah, I know. But I mean, but it is. But I think. That, you know, there's just there's got to be some. I mean, just like, is is the free fringe not kind of doing that? Yeah, what taking away money from people? No, but aren't yeah. they going back to? Oh the yeah, whole... yeah. I mean, free fringe is is great. If there was some way of um of running the venues technically better, but that would need some money. I mean, we sometimes the venues aren't acoustically secure or whatever, but you can make things work there. And obviously, like last year. A lot of things did really well. I saw I saw old Incognito in a um, free fringe venue. Incognito was you know one of the legends of the circuit when we started, and it was a really exciting night seeing him in there. I always go and see Cunt and the Gang in a free fringe, and um, which I think is really funny, like musical act. And there's I mean there's lots of things work really well in the free fringe, um, and uh, I mean that's that's a, a really but interesting development. Do you think that there's too many shows now? Well. Um, there's too many for anyone to see. Yeah. I mean, there's two thousand shows every day. Do you think you know? it should be a bit like golf, where there's a there's a cut every day? Well, no, because I think it find its own level, and also at the moment, you can kind of it's a bit like, you know, I mean, I haven't been to Glastonbury for ten years, but when you go to Glastonbury, you could go and have the Glastonbury that you wanted, right? You could go and sit in front of the big stage and watch Beyonce and you two all day. Or you could go off in the hippie bit and have your face painted and see a Van de Graaff generator tribute band and some reggae or something. You know, you could kind of... Yeah. There was so much going on that actually you could sort of have the experience. And the great thing about the fringe is um, a, a, um, a sort of television viewer could go out and see loads of people that they've seen on telly and act, famous actors and stuff yeah. and, and in the big four and have a really good time. Or someone with no money at all. Could go and stay for nothing, not next to nothing in a little hostel, um, eat a baked potato every day, and and for a quid donation every time, see ten shows a day. You know, well, and and, yeah, and some of which will be at, some of which will be as good as any in a big venue, and in a big venue you can see things that are worse than anything in the free fringe. Not so it's sort of you're going to have the fringe you want. Right, let's you? finish this part. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll go on to part two. So what what we've learned from the first part of the interview is that you're a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, schizophrenic. Uh, schizophrenic, can't afford a garden, and you're fairly laissez-faire with your kids. But so you've been listening to uh, another radio uh, Stuart Lynch, Sean Hughes. Uh, we'll see you next week with the rest of this interview. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.